Hello and welcome to Bullet Points, the podcast about shooting games. My name's Ed Smith. I'm joined as ever by Reed McCarter. Hey Ed, don't don't talk down to me with that posh English accent of yours. <laughs> that condescending, cultivated, don't bridge sounding voice. Don't do it. Don't talk down to me like this. I can hear the condensation is dripping from your voice. It's disgusting. I- I don't know how many times we've talked about or joked about Canada as a annexation of Britain and how your ass belongs to me, technically, since my queen is on your money. Um, but I do try to keep the condescension to a minimum. I wonder if there's any need for any kind of background on the fact that you were saying that you're... <laughs> right before we started, that you're worried that you don't want to sound... You don't want to sound, <laughs> <laughs> sound aloof. Or no, not at all. God forbid I sound aloof. You have to sound yeah. like a a man of the people, you know? The, <laughs> a street fighting man. The Vox Populi. Oh, Fucking, nice. Oh, nice segue. I, yeah. I <laughs> Let's I mean, if, he, if, he were, if he were having guessed from the episode title by now <laughs> what we're talking about this week, that's definitely <laughs> given the game away, literally. Uh, also joining us, our special guest this week, is writer for Paste, Unwinnable, Waypoint, and freelance motion designer, Yusuf Cole. Hello. How are you doing, Yusuf? I'm doing pretty good. Excited to yeah. talk about this game that no one has ever talked about. No. Yeah, weird amount, weird absence of discussion around Bioshock Infinite to drop the title in. Um, yeah, it kind of just went under the radar, didn't it? It's uh, no strong opinions either way from anybody. That's right. And four years later, we're here to, uh, <laughs> to to finally discuss this game. To unearth Give it a this do. forgotten classic. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so we used to do kind of pre-seed rundowns of the game and talk about when it was made and who made it this was 2013 it was Irrational who produced the first Bioshock game uh, but not the second and it's a game where you, well, you this is what I mean we don't need to do the kind of plot mechanics summary anymore people know this stuff by now um, but it's a game that's got a lot of things that we need to talk about I think and we've already written haven't we about it we've already done our written articles we've already made a few points um but there's a lot still to unearth. So I want to start, as usual, with a few general observations and feelings and comments, and I'd like to throw first to you, Seth. What do you think about this game in a kind of overall sense? Um, about this game overall, I'd have to say it has, it's been interesting to play it years after it was released, because a lot has changed in the world, and also in games, and it just had so much of a wave of hype coming along with it and surrounding it when it came out. So that really influenced me my, my time with it. I think now I'm, I'm liking it a lot less than I probably did when I first started playing it. Um, it was kind of a, I mean, it was a, it was a chore then, but it's definitely a chore now to get through it. Um, I still definitely appreciate the art style and the soundtrack, which that hasn't changed. Those are still obviously the standout points for me. Yeah, I'd probably... <clears throat> I feel kind of the same way. I. It is interesting, too, when you talk about, like, the, you know, the hype or whatever around the release of this game, which I, I think was almost unavoidable to a certain extent because just, you know, the original Bioshock was a big deal and... 
you know, this game was, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, it was kind of floating around for years, wasn't it? Before it, like, kept getting pushed back, and it seemed like like God only knows what this thing was going to be when it came out. And, um, I think when you first start playing it, and I, you know, to an extent I felt this way playing it again, too, there's about halfway through, you know, the first half of it or something, it's, there's a lot of stuff where even, where, like Yusuf says, where it's, it's kind of a chore to, you know, kind of plod your way through this thing. There's a lot going on that kind of makes you think it's heading towards something far better than it than it ends up going toward. And, um, yeah, I think when you first played it, when I first played it back around when it came out, um, that stuff all seems so promising. And I think it kind of colors, you know, the first half of the game or something, saying, where is this going? You know, uh, is what's this all leading toward? And it maybe gives a more favorable impression until you know there's a specific moment in the story which we will 100% definitely talk about <laughs> with this like Vox Populi thing. Um, but up until that point, you kind of feel like everything's heading towards something. It does feel like pretty confident for a video game. You know, it seems like it it has specific things it wants to say about America and about you know, religion and violence and, uh, you know, class struggle and race struggle and all of these different things. And then, yeah, and then it doesn't, but then the first time you play it, it also has this twist ending that is, I think, really well executed just from, you know, uh, the, the way it's produced, the way it's kind of all pulls together. And then you sit with it for a little bit, and then all the faults kind of come in, all the missed potential starts flowing back in, and it's... Yeah, I don't know, sorry, that's kind of a rambly way of saying that it's it's not a good game, but there's a lot going on that is so promising that it doesn't take advantage of. I think the build-up aspect of it is interesting because one of the things I often feel about games is that what you are expecting is what you get. It's rare that I, if a game has mm. been due for release for a long time and there's been a lot of marketing and pre-release material about it, what usually ends up happening is you receive it and it is you know the product as was promised which is something I find consistently disappointing or maybe slightly disheartening from a I want shocking art perspective when it comes to video games Bioshock Infinite did have a long slow build up and I would say that what I ended up playing was not what I expected but not in a good way you know it was a game that I expected to be very very thematically challenging, it was a game that I expected to be something of a watershed moment I go, I guess in the sense that the first Bioshock felt like it was something of a watershed moment at least for games of equitable size and funding. I agree with you Seth that the music and the the way that this game looks the colours and the various sounds and performances and things not to keep using this word in all of these episodes but the aesthetics in Bioshock Infinite are fantastic, I think it's a, a, a wonderful looking and sounding game that is also hugely confused and contradictory and it seems to in one scene expect to offer answers and sometimes quite pithy answers or quite comprehensive answers and then in another scene is is very much the opposite. It's it's all questions, and it's very sort of prolix and 
bloviating and uncertain and doesn't really have much of anything to say even though it's using a lot of quote words I agree with you Reed as well about the twist I thought that the the reveal or one of the reveals was the end of the game that your female companion Elizabeth who you've been kind of tacitly or maybe even overtly encouraged to sexually regard turns out to be your daughter I thought that was stomach churning and very telling and sort of specific to games I think it's a, or games at that time yeah it's a great sort of middle finger to the audience it's an interesting one to me because I think this game came out in March in 2013 The Last of Us came out in May and The Last of Us ends with this you know you thought you were playing the role of a male heroic protector throughout and it turns out you were somebody very different somebody much more questionable and sort of darker basically and The Last of Us does it quite not discreetly exactly but through dialogue and, and through almost the looks on the characters faces and very specific and in intimate things that happen to them Bioshock Infinite does something quite similar as in it recasts you right at the end not as the sort of protector or, or love interest as something a lot more kind of grotesque and perverse and does it much more not forcefully or directly but in a kind of grandiose way you know and it does it in a, with a lot more kind of fanfare than The Last of Us but they are both doing similar things and I, I do think that's interesting I think it's one of the game's qualities is as as I wrote I think it's when it, it drops some of its kind of essayism and just appeals very very unashamedly to emotions and to your eyes and to your ears but certainly this is not a game that it's easy to like it's not a game that's you, you feel very clean if you enjoy um, it has a, yeah, it's, an it's, interesting it's, aspect to it where it, it almost feels like um, there's like a harsh edge to it like almost uh, that does it, maybe not necessarily on purpose that it has a it's like bitter candy or something <laughs> because it's so bright <laughs> yeah. and like you were talking about Favist in your essay like um, harsh to the senses and then there's also so much violence and brutality that it makes it like kind of a unique unique experience because a lot of games really um, lean toward the dystopian and brown and gray darker tones and this one like kind of does this interesting balancing between or just not even balancing just contradictory play between the two elements where you just don't know how to feel because you're going through this carnival <laughs> this Disneyland oh, that's yeah. just like a nightmare I that stuff to me always felt very intentional. Um, the opening, because especially because they, I don't know if if either of you have played those Burial at Sea. It's they're weird. They're expansions, but they're also kind of like a prolonged epilogue to this game, mm -hmm. where it's you're playing as Elizabeth. Well, you play as Elizabeth in one of them, uh, but the one where you play as her, it opens with this long scene where she's in uh, Paris and uh, she's walking you know, down the streets and everyone's singing songs to her and I think a cartoon bluebird lands on her finger and then it you know, flashes and it's her and I think she's holding like this alternate universe booker who's covered in blood or something. You know, I think it's something that they are really into. I, I think it works well in that intro where you have this idea of, you know, look at this beautiful, shiny pristine wonderland version of America and, and 
and you know you've had the kind of creepy you you go through and you're in that baptismal waiting area place where you know and you come out and there's statues of the founding fathers like gods and so it's kind of disconcerting but then you come out and everyone's smiling and enjoying themselves and and you know you start to notice everyone's like kind of you know stepford wifey and then you know of course the the part where they say here's our grand raffle or whatever and they they wheel out an interracial couple and say you know it shows look at this this is what's going on here this is you know the the depths of of the hatred and everything that's underneath this shiny facade which is you know i i i think that stuff I wonder. I was gonna say. I wonder if this game was more understated about some of what it does, if it would be more successful. But then, I don't know 100% if I agree with that either. Like, I. Go on. Sorry. No, no. I was. I was just gonna kind of pose as an open question, like, because I, because I wonder what you would say with this game, because this might be an interesting way to talk about it. Is sort of where it, where it loses you first. You know where. Because I think we all kind of agree that there's, you know, major problems with what's going on in this game, and and I wonder where, you know, that first point would be, for both of you. Uh, Yusuf, I'd, I'd like to hear from you first on that sure. one. Sure. Um, I would say it's definitely in the manufacturing district, which is when the time travel stuff or time dilation stuff stuff starts happening in the quantum mechanics and you kind of split timelines which I think completely really literally dry, like drives the narrative off the rails where mm -hmm. you are like alright I'm in you know what's going to happen to this guy um, the, the machinist guy or the weapon maker what's you know because you, you, you basically I mean it, it, it quickly introduces like a lot of characters uh, Daisy Fitzroy and, and then the, the, the various cast that is in the um, in that district, and you kind of are expecting something like how Bioshock had the um, had those gardens. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, the that kind of theatrical scenes, and you're like, okay, this is going to be a little bit a little bit of that, and then they kind of introduce these time tears that change the events of what what is, what is happening in front of you, so that. It completely removes your, um, I guess, it removes your your uh, your will as a player or your ability to enact change on the environment because it's happening so, or, or to be regarded as an agent of change because you're basically kind of jumping to completely different storylines. So it, I think it just felt like it fell off the rails for me there. And then I was kind of playing catch up for the rest of the game until the very end where it was, you know, you get the, the, how it explains everything in a cutscene, essentially. I, I, I mean, I, I personally, I, I start to feel disappointed in Bioshock Infinite as soon as the shooting starts. I think it's a terrific game up until that first gunfight. It loses quite a lot of me as soon as you, as soon as you start shooting. But that stuff about the time tears, it, that is definitely, Yusuf. I think you're right. It's it. That is where the game. Um, stops being so many things that it was before, and starts being so many other things that are that are less interesting and and much more difficult to enjoy. It's funny that you should say that it it ruins your sense of sort of agency or your sense of 
um, the game being interested in you as as the player because to me those time tears and that whole multi-dimensional quantum mechanical conceit is a huge concession or a huge appeal to a discussion about players and player agency and how a video game works and that's that's why it loses me it's not because it it sacrifices or, or kills off something to do or some sort of discussion about being the player in a game it's because it introduces it and that to me is where Bioshock Infinite starts to be less interesting because I feel like those the original Bioshock it's didactic if you like it's, it's overarching point was something to do with do you really have agency in a game is it is it the player who is really the author here does does what the player do really count and Bioshock Infinite with the multi-dimension thing I always read as there is this Columbia there is this Booker there is this Elizabeth but they exist in infinite you know pun intended permutations and and varieties as if to say millions of people will play our game and they'll all play it differently and they're all valid you know all these different versions of Bioshock <sighs> Infinite are going to exist all these different I never thought of it that way yeah all these different iterations and sort of playthroughs of Bioshock Infinite exist somewhere you die somewhere you don't and they all exist together and they're all you know infinitely as valid as one another and that to me it's like a it's an interesting well it's not I don't, I don't find it particularly interesting but it's a, it's a sort of quasi-poetical way to, to introduce that debate and, and, and fair enough right but this is a game that at least in a sort of pretentious sense is talking about politics and history and race and what it means to exist in modern day America and to then sort of park all of that to sideline all of that for what is to me at least a, a relatively facile and almost irrelevant debate about what does it actually mean to play a video game that is when Bioshock Infinite loses me. See, I never... It becomes, I, I find that self-obsessed. I find it kind of self-absorbed. I, I, it becomes like a masturbatory thing. That, as soon as it's a game about games in the way that I interpret it to be and stops... and, and doesn't just stop being a game about you know people of colour and oppression. doesn't just stop being that. Actually kind of actively sacrifices that so it can become a game about games. That's when it loses me. I have never thought I've, I've never kind of read it that way I will say one more thing on that point yeah if the infinite refers to these uh, you know iterations and, and different permutations of the game itself and what Bioshock Infinite or maybe even the first Bioshock is about is the sort of uh, relationship dynamic combination of what is there in the sense of it's been built by the game designer and what is organic in, in the sense of what is introduced when you give this to a player who can treat it as they see fit. Bioshock Infinite itself is filled with all of these kind of references to uh, like the combination of strict and mechanical and kind of engineerical and organic so you've got like these enemies who are half man half machine you know the handyman you've got those like wild bill machines or dollar bill machines which are a man but he's a robot so you've got all of these kind of aesthetic touches which are about you know like the sort of clockwork orange the organic but it's being controlled the the player but they're being led by the designer so i, I feel like it's it's huh. it's really interested in that stuff it, it is really concerned with what does it mean to play a game what is the player's role what is the designer's role and 
again that might be a discussion that at some point is worth having but I think it's a discussion that is maybe worth having in about 600 words on a blog <laughs> and not in Bioshock Infinite you know a, a game that is ostensibly about politics and race and history I'm, uh, I was saying I was going to say it just has Ophelia has more more appropriateness in the game like Bioshock 1 you know which was even though it didn't necessarily fully get, get into like objectivism it was still a game that you know asked some simple yeah. questions about what games are and I don't think this advances that argument in any way um, and I feel like you're absolutely right Ed, that it's you know, I brought up in my essay where basically, you know, you're bringing up all these real issues that affect real people, and then cynically turning it, turning away from it, and deciding I'm gonna, you know, get into, you know, philosophy and um, like abstract concepts that have no application to the detriment of like the totally. earlier story, and like it's just so offensive, especially because just reading some of the interviews that he's done, like I linked to one of them in the essay, just how Lev Ken Levine has this very cynical attitude and like kind of cynical pragmatism to politics where he believes that, you know, oppressed people become oppressors um, because their lives are, that leads them down this path, um, which just has, I, I just don't get the basis and reality of that belief. Like it feels very it's, like, <laughs> you know, closed-minded and, privileged yeah. yeah it's um that's a complicated one right because i think you can pick little examples you know if, from history but of course you can because you can pick I, I don't think that's the widespread i don't know if that goes off on a tangent but i i just think about that because i have seen that that quote of his or the interview where he says that about you know you look at uh, people who have been oppressed and, and they'll, you know, repeat the pattern onto someone else. And you do see that in history, but it's not, you know, you, you see that with, with, you know, say European nations who then, uh, who were uh, colonized within Europe and then got a chance to colonize people in the Americas and Asia and Africa, and they were, you know, did awful things to other people, which theoretically, historically, they should know better because they have been on, on that end of it too but that's not you know there are other patterns of history and I think it's he I think Yusuf is right to say it's a super cynical view and I think it's it's not true in in the way that he uses it in Bioshock Infinite either when he has this you know because Columbia is like this little microcosm it's like what he did with Rapture where it's like essentially these games are like little petri dishes for you know, it's an experiment with different political ideologies, and and uh, you know. I've or, heard him use the term "Skinner box." <laughs> they call them Skinner boxes. That's what he says in the interview. Sorry. Uh, but you know what I mean, where it's like he has like his little. Mm, they're like almost archetypal, which is maybe a little bit unfair to him because some of the characters in both games are you know relatively well drawn characters who are believable. But, you know, he has, like, the Vox, and, <clears throat> you know, particularly with Daisy, who's, you know, the de facto, or she is the leader, but she stands in for everything about them in the game. And when you look at what they are, they're supposed to be, uh, you know, the exploited workers who are, you know, uh, 
the subject of all the prejudice. They stand in for every American prejudice, right? They're the Irish, and they're black, and they are, you know, um, I think there's one thing, too, in, in one of them where there's, like, some, you know, anti-Semitic graffiti somewhere, too. So the idea is you're having this, like, hey, we're representing somehow trying to smush different oppressed groups in American history into one blob here and say this is who they stand for in this game. But you can't do that because these characters exist in this really specific circumstance where essentially they're just looking to be on the same playing field. There's nothing to suggest that if these people are able to... I don't, I, I don't know, I feel like I'm getting lost in the weeds here, but there's nothing in this game in its specific way it's using this for it to... He's putting his position and then illustrating things to fill up toward that yeah. instead of saying, look at this situation, maybe this is how this plays out. It's yeah. It's also it's the way so... it centers um, whiteness. Essentially, like it centers the the people, like the white population, like of Colombia, so that everything you see in relation to the Vox Populi is like how they affect the white part of it uh, of Colombia, like you know how they destroy yeah. it. Like you get like a very short period of time where you're actually seeing how shitty their lives are, and of course you get mugged immediately. <laughs> like cool, cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that idea that they are that this game or, or maybe the first Bioshock is set up in a kind of labra, uh, laboratory conditions kind of way and we're just going to put these things together and see what happens is, is definitely false it's um, it's a polemic, it's, it's got a point to make from the beginning, this is this is not a, uh, despite claims maybe from Ken Levine himself or, or other people involved in the game to the contrary, it's not Objective. It, it it's not a, a petri dish. It's not a Skinner box. This is this is something that is is from the top to bottom has a beginning, middle, and a conclusion to make. The thing about just to revert back slightly to the the dimension hopping because it, it it relates to all of this as well. What Yusef was saying about the the game's position on the oppressed becoming oppressed. It's that to me is a. It sounds like a very brave and like complex and nuanced position to take on politics you know if you're oh. if you're 16 or but, so yeah maybe <laughs> exactly exactly but it's actually it's a really easy point to make and a nuanced point to make which is disguised in Barshik Infinite as, as a, a complex and difficult and brave point to make the dimension hopping stuff I think is the the, the sort of calcification if you like of that because what that narrative conceit implies i.e. that there are these infinite dimensions and that in each one every possible outcome is played out and they're all as valid or invalid as one another what that ends up creating is like an utter flattening yep. of everything that happens you know, nothing nothing matters, nothing matters in Bioshock Infinite because it's all being played out differently in other dimensions anyway and you can go and look at those as well if you like what it also says is that there is something kind of cosmically inevitable about all of this so why even bother to try and change it it's it the, the game semi implies that the universe itself time itself space itself will always make this happen so it's almost not worth worrying about it's almost not worth thinking about and also there's something like even deeper and darker in that and I, I'm not quite sure if I have to word it well but it's it's almost like saying this is meant to be you know, this is this is how it's supposed to be. 
uh, we're supposed to have oppressors and oppressed we're supposed to have um, rich white and poor non-white it's like this happens in every dimension so maybe it's just well it's like it's, it's also god's will like being oppressed you are indicted by the society you live in because the end of the game is essentially them erasing that eventuality and by erasing that eventuality they're erasing mm. the, all those people like the ones who are oppressed and who are oppressed so like yeah. like you know the fitzroys and the vox populi don't exist as well like and you know you, you're not supposed to care what happens to them because that is the bad world that you know is a, a two polemic ideologies warring each other, warring against each other, and they should neither of them should exist. Essentially, is what he's arguing. Which is, <laughs> well, I, I yeah, obviously, like I, I don't know. We were talking about different games to do too, and it felt like it was time to, <laughs> you know, people covered the hell out of this game when it came out. You know, and then I think probably pretty steadily for about a year, uh, which is fair because there's a lot to talk about with this game. There's a lot to, I think, for critics, this game, despite a lot of different things, is kind of like a, you know, it's like a slab of red meat for lions. Like you can just <laughs> fucking go in on this thing. But now too, it's you look at this, and there's no starker example of, of, you know, it's like sickening in this game when you get to the point where uh, you know Booker and, and Elizabeth I think have escaped when they've been to this alternate reality and they've seen the Vox Populi are now you know have police up against the firing line and stuff and you're thinking oh you're supposed to think what monsters these are and you get into an elevator and Yusuf you had this line and I'm so glad you did because I tried to screenshot it in time when I was replaying this because it just is the worst where Booker says something like you know, Comstock, Vox, like, it, it's just spelling, it's just a different spelling of the same thing, or I forget the exact line, but he's saying, you know, n there's no difference between any of these people, and it's just, you look at what's going on in the world right now, and especially what's going on in America, and North America, and, I mean, the West in general, and it's like, I mean, Ed was saying this before, it's, it's the most cowardly thing, you know, it's this this faux sophistication, and this game it feels like such like a like a almost like an intellectual betrayal when you have because it's so rare in video games that you'd have something where it's like, look at this, we're going to talk about right off the bat. Here's you know American Christianity. Here's uh, you know the founding fathers revered as gods. Here's you know racial and class struggle in this like faux America and you know all of this different stuff and, and this game came out, out around the same time as like the Tea Party stuff was, was really going strong and you know you walk into this place and oh look Wounded Knee look at America's involvement in the Boxer Rebellion all this stuff and games don't do this and so you're thinking like oh look at these people are acknowledging the world <laughs> you know mm -hmm. as as low a hurdle as that is it's it's them saying look at this we understand what's going on we're we're talking about things here <laughs> and then not only bar. do they well i know it's it's but it's exciting when you first see it right that they're like oh they're gonna engage with with things on some level and then not only does all that stuff kind of come to nothing but the moment where you have the most forceful i guess like 
position made. It's a position of complete cowardice. It's a position of waffling, of saying, this is all horseshit anyway, who cares, you know? It's almost almost apathetic. It's almost apathetic and, and sort of retreatist, if you like, because the game, like you say, it, it does come down on this is all nothing, it's all meaningless, they're all the same anyway, so let's just talk about games. Let's just talk about the nature of games. It, 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 Bioshock Infinite begins, like you say, Reed, as a, a game that's exciting because it's it's engaging with parts of the world, it's engaging with things that have actually happened to the people that are playing it, and then it, 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 it decides that that's too complicated, It's it's too tough, so let's give a glib and pithy and sort of quotable opinion on all of that stuff and then go back to talking about games and being about games and the other thing about Bioshock Infinite disregarding for a second the sort of conscientiousness or or morality or or soundness of the things that it's talking about and the way it's talking about them is that it's very messy it's a very loud game it's it's not a game that it, it, it seems to be struggling all the time this is something I said when we first started recording it's something that seems to be stro- uh, striving for a cohesive point with almost like a capital P, but it's it's overwhelmed by almost by its own aesthetic, almost by its own activity. This is a game where you know we can sit and talk about how it's about this and about that, but you know that's not what the game is about. Kind of eighty percent of the time, eighty percent of the time, it's it's about collecting resources. Off the it's ground. about eating hot it's dogs about, from the trash. Yeah, <laughs> correct, and 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 shooting waves after waves of, of like screaming shouting running people and using science fiction weaponry and magic and fighting a ghost in one sequence <laughs> and all of these things it's it's a I don't even know what the word is phantasmagoria jamboree um, <laughs> something like that you know it's, it's a real I kind of like jamboree <laughs> expresses some kind <laughs> yeah. of like mess like nightmare jamboree <laughs> Yeah, it is. It really is. It's it's a big bucket of kind of multi. It's manic, also down yeah. a hill. Yeah, exactly, manic. Yeah, I I mean I was thinking about that too, and you know aside from uh, even just structurally, when when Yusuf was saying at the end too, and then what is this game about when you get to this these twists at the end, and really it's everything's wiped away. There's so much table setting for you to have this. Ah, but then maybe I'm going to retreat a little bit on this because I do like I, th- I think the baptismal stuff is the closest this game comes to making a really strong point making sort of like a, a point about America metaphorically and you know the new world is, is quote this, unquote that is interesting because I was thinking a little bit while you guys were talking about um, you know like who is also the protagonist like what is what does the game say about him you know Booker DeWitt because it is like a, it's a very contradictory and you know mixing of tones for him as well because you do get his the, the guilt of wounded knee and the boxer rebellion and yeah. his guilt in his own brutality which manifests both in the in the beginning and, and in the baptism you know it kind of bookends it but then in the middle of the game I feel like you're the player is meant to really empathize with him and and and, and treat his perspective as your own like like when he was comparing like the two sides as both being bad, and you're like, like who the fuck are you though? But like he's like I, the voice of Ken Levine, like you know he's at many parts he becomes the voice of the writers, like 
like the, like his outlook on the rest of the world of the game but like you're also i don't know it, it, it's strange how yeah you're just at one side at one point empathize with him but then also like treat him as this flawed anti-hero this like kind of this kind of yeah yeah you know, character that has that's irredeemable i wonder how much more successful the character would be because one of the problems too is that this game takes what you know 14 or 15 hours to play through or something so I wonder how much Booker is supposed to come off as kind of a piece of shit you know if you're supposed to think this guy sucks because he does I think near the beginning and sort of when he first meets with Elizabeth and moments where he has more characterization you do often get a sense of this guy is not good he's, he's not a good dude he's here to abduct a you know a young woman and you start to feel like maybe it's justified when you see how horrible Columbia is. But I I wonder if they want you to to like him less. But I feel like if you have a game that's this long and you're spending so long between moments of him saying things that might color your opinion of him, then you're gonna maybe start to empathize with him a little bit because you're you're controlling him as he moves toward his goal. You know, you're um Hmm. I, I don't know the best the way to put it. The thing is, you know, maybe in writing, maybe in some of his dialogue and the the story beats that he's involved in, Booker is meant to be an ambiguous or maybe even unlikable figure. But again, the fact of the matter is that most of the time you spend as him, with him, he's doing impressive and cool things. You know, he's he's winning yeah. gunfights on top of moving zeppelins and shooting like magic beams out of his hands so he's a video game impressive you know, video game hype and impressive figure whether he talks in a certain way or says certain things between those sections or not hey, we mentioned and the fact oh, and the other, i was gonna say one more thing the other thing is that to talk about the game's ending like yousef mentioned earlier on the ending of bioshock infinite whereby basically everything you've gone through is is deleted it's it's like as close as you can get to the it was all a dream ending you know with with a lot of I keep using this word kind of bellatristic and, and impressive sounding language it is it was all a dream so I personally I mean I, I, I don't debate that it's worth debating but I personally struggle to, to really worry too much at least about Booker's characterization because he doesn't exist at the end of the game the, the whole thing is is wiped away like the whole thing is deleted so it's like the game itself doesn't really give a uh, doesn't care what you make of it because it's just going to get rid of it all anyway it's just it, it, it didn't happen in the bioshock and none of this happened um i don't want to cut off yusuf if he wants to say something but the only thing i'd say to that really quickly is that the one thing is that all of columbia is supposed to be the vision of booker essentially you know that's true which yeah, and and then the all dream stuff is almost like, you know, look at look at how, you know that that's the stuff that kind of works for me in this game of of this like, you know, America forging forward. You know, America was always great. They just <laughs> I feel like the Canadian yeah, I mean, and the British yeah. talking about <laughs> Americans, but but that would be really like, cool if that was like within his. You know, if that if that was not just distracted from by our t you know playing as him the whole game 
Yeah. And like I don't know because I was just gonna bring the only thing I was gonna bring up was we had brought we had mentioned Last of Us and I keep thinking about that in terms of um, being able to establish a, a like an antihero that is really an antihero that is very visibly an antihero like because I don't know it could just be the the framing the way it's like first person versus third person but you know in Last mm. of Us when you kill somebody you feel bad if you kill a human um, it just doesn't look good at all and it looks bad in Bioshock, but it looks bad in a cartoonish way that yeah. is just like, I can't process this information because there's too much going on and I'm just trying to not get killed by like the 20 different people that are shooting me from around the map, um, whereas like Last of Us is like one-on-one in a dark closet somewhere and you're just banging you guys head in. You're like, no, this is not a good mm. person. Um, and then obviously that, that's reinforced by the end of the game and then not erased. You, like the characters have to live with that, those decisions. Um, I don't know. It just feels like such such a more successful version of the same anti-hero conceit. In Bioshock Infinite, you're shooting at people off and over a long distance. You can't really see who you're shooting, and they're all. The Last of Us, it, it's true as well because it's a post-apocalyptic semi-zombie thing. But the enemies, the, all of the characters I feel in Bioshock Infinite are larger than life, whereas the ones in The Last of Us, they you know you overhear them having some kind of personable conversation, there's like an implied inner life in the people that you kill, or often there is in the people that you kill. In Bioshock Infinite, um, to use a, a kind of game review cliche, which is often used as a positive, they're cannon fodder, you know, they're, they're just they're just goons. Um, so yeah, again, that, that ambiguity, that anti-heroism in Booker is, is definitely not as strong as, as it is in a game like The Last of Us, I, I would agree. Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of there, the the enemies in Infinite are kind of the Call of Duty mold of <laughs> gunfire. You know, bad thing is coming at you from this direction. You have to make it right. stop coming from that direction, and that's what the combat feels like, right? It feels like you're just you're trying to uh, I don't know, you're trying to pick sand off a table or something. Not not like, like asteroids or something. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Last of Us is it. it uh, you know, I was thinking of this as well with things like Kane and Lynch too as well it's, it's rubbing your face in this stuff and, and it wants you to feel um, the proximity being closed and how kind of gross and unpleasant all of this is which you know I, I think I can't remember Ed if I talked to you about this or if it's just we repeat the same thing so goddamn often <laughs> but um, Bioshock is definitely you know a candidate for one of those games that if you you know, to be, let's say, generous, say you kill 20 people across the entire game, I think it would be a much better game, you know? Mm. And and that's a large number, but I'm just saying for the, you know, the anything you might feel about the violence when it first starts, you know, when you have those nice blue skies and uh, the sun shining and it's still trying to look sort of like this Disneyland and, and I think Booker, you know, like sticks his claw thing, his grapple hook through, a, you know, someone's face, and you're it's gross, but it is cartoonish. But, you know, it has some kind of punch to it right then and there where you feel something, that contrast that we were talking about before. But then it just goes away, because you're just doing it over and over and over and over, and it loses all meaning. Um, it to the point be interesting where... if they had made the game more like... Um... Uh, all the scenes where you can not fight people, but you'd will if you steal money from them. Uh, like, what if all the game had been like that? So the players who want to do a shooting gallery can have a shooting gallery. And then no, if you seriously. want to treat it more like, you know, the 
the narrative game that you know the writers want it to be then you can just walk through it and get the audio recordings i don't know if it'd be a very good game but i don't know it would at least be a bit more like cohesive maybe mm. be a little bit more yeah i don't know this game <laughs> i mean i, I do like, want to briefly talk a little bit about this the shooting because it is interesting how it's different from the first one and the second one in terms of possibility space and like the way it's it functions because you know the first one has famous you know the famous big daddies who are just such an interesting enemy because mm. they had some of that guilt of um, you know of not wanting to kill them uh, like like that last of us has and also the the you know the the draw of wanting to kill them for the benefit of yeah, I guess rescuing or killing the little sisters, but I mean, there's none of that in Infinite. I mean, I think Chris Franklin had brought it up in his review of the game, where just like there's the, the enemies are are so flat and and unremarkable, and just like there's it just lacks a depth of like the previous games, which is so weird. Like that that they <laughs> that they could have released you know the game like in you know that that where the characters you know took such a giant step back. Yeah, and part of what I wonder about that too, and this was something I thought was kind of maybe interesting, maybe, is that a lot of this game feels like it's written to, like like it's sort of written to a spreadsheet, you know, like it's um, this is how it works, this is how the plot comes together, you know, sort of like the accusations that are leveled at like Christopher Nolan about you know his movies are too much head, not enough heart. And you can kind of see that in some of the ways that this, you know, the way it comes together at the end is very clever in the same way that, you know, it, it gives you that kind of like putting the last piece in a jigsaw puzzle kind of feeling of, oh, look at that, you know, it's it's a lot to think about. And then you think about it for half an hour and it's far less impressive, which is kind of like the first Bioshock as well. And I wonder how much of this game where he's trying to get across the idea that, you know, the what's that line about there's always a girl in the lighthouse or yeah, yeah. the right hand that sticks out of the screen all the time. Um, and he he seems so much like he's working toward that point, which makes sense. It's his ending and it's, you know, should be, should feel like it's a culmination of all these things. But how much he recreates stuff from the first, I shouldn't say he for this, I should say, you know, irrational, recreates stuff from the first Bioshock purely as commentary but to its detriment you know the the stuff mm -hmm. like you know what Yusuf was saying about taking that step back from having these characters who are even in the first Bioshock the first uh, splicer that you kill is pitiful you know it's this it's like this guy wearing that cracked rabbit mask and he seems you know desperate and hungry and unstable and, and you murder him because he's trying to murder you there's you know nothing for you to do um and in this one yeah it's it's all nothing you know i think the same thing about when you in the first game you're you're obsessed with getting money and resources which makes sense because that's a game about you know nominally about objectivism or at least about like capitalism and you know even just games themselves and the need to acquire 
but in Bioshock Infinite isn't so much about that. So why is that still there? You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. the stuff that's just mm-hmm. transplanted, which you know it doesn't feel like it needs to be there. You know, how much of this is lost because it needs to be Bioshock Infinite and not just its own thing. I, I remember a, com- a conversation I had with one of the people who worked on this game, who will remain nameless, and I asked this person. I, I brought up something that we mentioned earlier on, which is the quantity of violence, the quantity of shooting scenes, and they had a, a justification, they had a response, and it, it it's empathetic. The point being that if you're a, a game studio and you've spent a lot of time and effort and kind of people hours on developing a working shooting mechanic, the temptation is then to use it as much as possible because it can just mm. be you know, transplanted. If, if you've made uh, a gaming system where the player can aim, shoot, reload a gun and, and enemies will die, then it, it, it's very hard just to use it once because you probably spent you know the equivalent of thousands of dollars on, on producing this thing. But I mean, and, and that that is an argument. But Reed, you're absolutely right that there is so much in this game that feels unwarranted. Might not be exactly the right word, but just yeah, just just misplaced. Just not anything to do with the rest of the game. Not it's anything. It's like vestigial. Points that it's trying to make. <laughs> it's there because yeah. it is there, um, and like, not mm. because it needs to be there. Or has any like, yeah application that makes that but reinforces the narrative. Again, this is this comes back to. I I feel like Bioshock Infinite is is clamoring for a sensible, in the sense that it makes sense, point about things. It's, it's it wants to give you that sort of one or two paragraph philosophical summary for for everything that it's talking about. It wants to be concise and and brief, but it's not. It's it it's it's full of you know. It's very verbal. It's it's bloviating. It's very long-winded. It's it's prolix and and also messy and incohesive and sort of talks over itself and sounds over itself and looks over itself and everything clashes and there's a lot there that doesn't need to be. It's this conflagration of like really striving for the for wisdom uh, and and the pithy remark mm-hmm. and at the same time striving for the opposite, striving for a kind of triple-A video game level of, of of content with a capital C and trying to be like a good package and trying to be what everybody would expect from a game and that to me is, is the and there, there might be somebody possibly one of the people who worked on the game who, who would argue well if your complaint is that the game is is making too too glib of a point about all of its things and it's, it's trying to be whatever is trying to kind of say nothing matters that's maybe not true because it's so messy maybe that is to imply that there are no simple answers but I, I don't think that's that's the case I think it's just it's, it's two games basically brushing or two sensibilities you know it's a double bind of that they don't work but they have to be together it's it's a, it's a long story short it's a mess and really really doesn't want to be yeah, I think if it embraces you know, we talked about observer. If it embraces messiness, we talked about sorry, I was just gonna say yes. it would be one thing, but it you know, and, and I did play a little observer, which really does embrace the messiness of its yeah. environment. Yeah, I what I was gonna say is that if it was messier in in the right ways, 
kind of. I, I think it's a game that suffers a lot from feeling like it needs an answer. You know, it, it yeah, totally. like it, it, it has to say, look at this stuff and and this is how it all comes together. You know, we're gonna wrap this up no matter what it takes to do so, which you know, as we've mentioned before, often means that things like, you know, the both sides horseshit and the and the wiping away everything that isn't the story of Booker and Elizabeth and time travel. You it's know, also, at the yeah. end. and it's also like the messiness is also messy in a way that is very dis- like disappointing and angering. <laughs> Like, it's not necessarily you're like, oh, that's a good experiment. Yeah. Like, I like where, you know, like some games where you're like, you know, I like where you're going with this. Like, obviously you didn't accomplish it, but I like that you're trying to get there. But I feel like with Bioshock, every time they do something, you're just like, really? <laughs> like, you know, when they yeah. do Wounded Knee and you're just like, what? That's it? Like, you introduce Wounded mm-hmm. Knee and then you go through this thing and then you kill a guy for some reason and then you're on to the next area. And that's like what? Like it just feels like such a colossal failure because you're jumping so much higher, and you're reaching further to like make a bigger point, and that and, and doing so, yeah. you, you, the failure is that much more egregious. But here's the thing, for me, is that there are times, there are scenes, there are moments, there are there are periods of Bioshock Infinite where. It might not make a sort of cohesive single point about something political or social or racial or historical, but it it has it does find a sort of cohesively intelligibly beautiful sequence or or, or a sequence that does make you feel or think something. So I, I I go back to the first Bioshock, and in the first Bioshock, the way that you collect the shotgun weapon. It's, it's lying on the floor in this room uh, lit by an overhead spotlight and you pick it up and then all of these enemies come and you have to use the shotgun to defend yourself from them and that's a sort of a small scene it's like a kind of short game in and of itself you know it's it's like a like a micro setup if you like quite a basic one quite a simple one quite a rote one Bioshock Infinite has them as well it has these little moments where for example in the you know in the opening 30 minutes when you're walking through Columbia and that Zeppelin rises up with the, the barbershop mm. quartet singing the Beach Boys and it, in isolation it's this wonderful sequence this kind of five minute sequence where you've been walking through this sunny amazing place and suddenly this this like miraculous thing happens um, or, or there's the sequence on the beach where you're looking for Elizabeth and, and again it's like this kind of single uh, like, black, you know, like Polaroid photo of this, this wonderful day at the beach and it, it does find these individual really really pretty really sort of heartfelt warming kind of bring tears to your eyes on occasion sequences and and in, in those cases I, I feel like it's a game unlike any I've played I feel like it, it does have these these wonderful bits and I feel like that is that is the sort of apical you know climax of what Bioshock Infinite can or should have been or, or not should have been but you know what I mean but it, that's what the game should or, or, or might have worked towards or striven towards at the end not this as Reed you put it kind of clever jigsaw thing it should just well think of even yeah. though the you know you're talking about these small moments uh, the the ending just the music and uh, precisely is, is it can give you shivers even if it's stupid you know, it's just like it's so beautifully presented, and yes, and in some in some instances, it's 
very subtle too, and the same kind of moments that you're talking about where it's almost like this and Yusuf was talking about this before too, about this kind of like creepy uh well maybe this is slightly different, but some of like the creepy contrast with some of these things where, you know, the baptism that ends the game is very eerie and a really great image and, and just or a scene I guess of you know this beautiful serene pond and then all these Elizabeths coming out and, and drowning you and you're looking up it's your perspective you know things like uh, when Comstock gets you know killed over the baptismal font in this beautiful little room and yeah I, a lot of the baptismal stuff actually like when you first enter and it's this very eerie but beautiful like incredibly beautiful room with this, you know, ankle higher or knee high water and floating tea lights and it's all incredible and but it's creepy because it's wrong. You know, it's it's otherworldly in in a way that seems sinister. And those moments are so so good. There's so many moments in this game, especially like that's so much what I think about when I think about how you can play the first couple hours of this and think <laughs> you can be really excited about this if you don't know where it's going. Because there's some really excellent I don't want to say craftsmanship because that sounds like almost like artistry yeah that's fair but it's um it's too much it's too much game it's too much uh yeah I think it it, it maybe reaches too far I don't know if that's fair to say I also appreciate the clown in the beginning you know the clown? The clown? You, the, you walk in the fair, the weird fair, you for, like kind of tutorializes you in the weapons of the game. Uh, oh, in yeah. In one corner, there's a clown. Yeah, and that's right. If you walk right. up next to him, he'll look directly at you and not say anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was kind of like playing with it like even more this time around. I was like, what is the script for this? Because like he won't look at you if you're like 10 feet away. <laughs> but if you're like 2 feet away, he will. And I'm like, that's so interesting because like, uh, you know, one of the downsides of the game was that when it came out also were people kind of complaining about the fact that it's hap you know it, rapture happened after everyone became an enemy and turned crazy and we're not we're like gone yeah. and this one it really has a lot of scenes where people are all over the place and you know it doesn't it, it, in any in many ways it it kind of reinforces their their marionette marionette like statuesque robotic um, scripted nature like that and then having the clown there was kind of like almost a nod to that <laughs> where you're just like mm. it was kind of cool I, I feel like that was like a, a glimpse at a different game because you're just like like what it, this world is so obviously fake um, you know let's explore what, it, what that means like you know that the idea of exploring a fantasy yeah yeah there is a you know to speak of more you know, again, of positive things. There is something great about the way the game feels like. Um, it feels like you're walking around in a giant, like yeah, like marionette is the right word for it. It feels like everything's a stage, kind of like it's all um, the the deliberate kind of like cartoonishness of the characters and the over-exaggerated ways that they move and emote and everything. And and yeah, when you see stuff with certain scripting things, if you hang around for too long and you see things kind of loop yeah, they just or... stand in silence it's very Westworld yeah where they just like don't say anything yeah like they'll have a two people have a conversation like sitting on a patio like drinking coffee and then they'll just stop <laughs> and just kind of <laughs> stare at each other <laughs> um, but but I think some of that stuff's really neat 
and it's I I feel I don't know I say this about a lot of games but there's so much going on in this game that is so interesting and is so impressive and it you walk away from it though and it's it's hard to think about those things and I think rightly so I think it makes sense that this game is kind of remembered as uh, I think now you know the it, it took a while for for people to start reading other opinions about it um, but you know that this game is remembered as being a pretty serious misstep in, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but there's also a lot that it did that's maybe worth you know like just cutting away the good parts you know cut the mold out of the bread and, and you still have some bread left that you can, well, you can show that, here or it's you know it was that kind of a almost like a just a baffling or a distraction in front of like the rotten <laughs> the rotten product you know was it well, just like you know, yeah all this like kind of fireworks and cotton candy to that I mean, just like the, the nature of the game, having having sunk so much money into it and so much time, and so much um, investment into like all the di- different aspects, to make it into like the triple A, the triple A games. Yeah. That highs. You know what? That's for. actually. That's actually maybe closer to the. I mean, they're, to the well, mark they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Of like, you know, it's... how how are you gonna look at the game? You're like, oh, it's a good game that has bad aspects, or it's a bad game that has good aspects. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely I think too it's a trip to replay this game. Um years after it came out. If you played this around when it came out and and uh I, I think it crystallizes in, in the mind in a certain way and you go back to it and I think knowing where the game is going really changes the way you interpret a lot of what's happening to it. And not in the oh, I can see the twists coming, <laughs> you know. It it just um knowing the ways that it, it for me fails kind of uh, makes you appreciate some things more and dislike other parts like a lot more yeah well there we are we're at time we're at 60 minutes so that's our 60 minutes of Bioshock Infinite dissection completed I like the, it's making me think you have like a, a egg timer next to the <laughs> next to the thing and it I do yeah and it just went off and oh there it is that's it that's it I, one time I, one episode I ended up just like cutting you off mid sentence <laughs> no no more we're done that was rude Jump. too and I was <laughs> I was talking about my childhood as well it was really damn <laughs> it was really sad but <laughs> uh, yeah too much uh, sadness what I'd like to <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'd like to end on asking um for for games you'd recommend, you know, around Bioshock Infinite, or that or that relate to any of the things that we've talked about this episode, or you know, palate cleansers after Bioshock Infinite, or, or or games that do the the same kind of good things that Bioshock Infinite has done, maybe better or, or differently. Yusuf, if you've got anything in mind, that is a tough one. <laughs> do you want to go first, Ed? Racking my brain. I I if I can start, I I, I would say I had two. Um, when we're talking just there about it being a kind of puppet show and uh, an intrinsically fantasy feeling world where the people kind of have their conversations and then stop I played something like Off Off World Off Peak by Cosmo D where you kind of walk around the train station and listen to these conversations and um, it does feel sort of semi-mechanical but also 
the, the way that they talk is very organic and sort of listenable and he has a great ear for dialogue and th that game itself is is about kind of pretense and is this place is kind of genuine and heartfelt as it seems or otherwise um, so I'd recommend that for the kind of if you enjoy the first hour of Bioshock Infinite where you're just walking around and imbibing it uh, Off Peak is a game entirely based around that that's a good way the to describe Off Peak actually that it's like the the opening you know a distorted yeah Opening, the surreal opening of Bioshock. Sorry. The other one I'd say is, um, and I, I'd recommend this in the sense of, I think a lot of the problems I have with Infinite I have with this game as well, but I'd, I'd still find reasons to talk about it as a, as a good game, would be Assassin's Creed 3, which is a, a long <sighs> and messy... Took one of mine. Sorry, and contrived and complicated and... and tripping over itself and not quite sure what's going to come out of its mouth kind of game that occasionally stumbles on these quite profound little moments uh, that also have something to say about not just America in the past but a kind of contemporary western yes. politics or something um, so Assassin's Creed 3 is a, a, a long companion <laughs> to Bioshock Infinite how about you Yusuf, Reed, either of you got anything in mind? Yusuf, have you thought of some? Um, I mean I can go it's if you so want another minute, but hard because it's like games that talk about America in a way that is critical. I mean, spec ups the line in some ways, um, though obviously that has its problems, like Far Cry yeah. 2, um, that kind of brings up the protagonist or like kind of talks about the antihero. I mean, Last of Us. You mentioned that, obviously. I, th yeah. I do think Last of Us, while it also has problems, is still like just like true to its tone and its message in a way that just like completely blows away <laughs> Bioshock Infinite in terms of like a, uh, accomplishment um, because I do think they really set out to do the same thing and it's like I feel like you know it's funny seeing trailers for the new God of War where, where Kratos is a dad and I'm just like we, we did we did it <laughs> like Last of Us was the last that should have been the last game about dads like, yeah. we do not need any more dad games like that is it um, the last, the last of us if only um, I mean, and I was thinking, like, if anything, you know, just regular fiction. Like, uh, I read Underground Railroad earlier this year, which I recommend. With Colson Whitehead, it's like this yeah. really interesting alternate fiction history or alternate history, which you know, speaking of alternate history, but in like a good way, where it was talking about um, basically following a slave who escapes from her plantation in the South, and it creates this actual real Underground Railroad system. Like that, that is like a train in a tunnel underground, and like it's kind of science fictional. But then there are there are a lot of accounts in the book that are based in history, so it mixes like those two things in an interesting way. And of course, the protagonist is um, has their own has her own like unique take on things. Um, and anything by like Octavia Butler, another really good science fiction author. Just like I think the you know is. It's hard because the people making these games are just invariably white men in their thirties, like that, and it, it really draws, it really limits the kind of messages they can get across. Really, like it's not their fault. <laughs> they, I, I, it is their fault, when, but <laughs> it's also like you, you need you need different voices and creators making. Well, these it's games. such. Yeah, it's a shame too because games are you know like film, collaborative. You know, you would think that 
And especially if you're going to spend four years making something, that hopefully you could get some, you know, you could you could really talk to other people about the story you're trying to tell and and kind of get different perspectives. And I mean, there, instead actually, of uh, I will bring up Mafia Three. I forgot about that, but um, that game, um, in terms of like the kind of context and narrative, brings a lot of really new stuff to the table, um, in term, like in characterizations yeah. and the kind of protagonists you can play and how they how they fit into that society is like really refreshing for a video game. Like I, I don't really like the open world nature of it. That kind of feels again vestigial, like where it's like, oh, it's open world yeah. game, so you have to do a million things for twenty hours. Um, but the parts of the game, like for example, where you go to like kind of a white suburban neighborhood in the north that's very segregated and is like the home of the game's version of the clan, and it's just like some of the yeah. most powerful <laughs> moments in gaming because like you just is I don't know it, it 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 takes the thing you know in Bioshock Infinite where your your disinterested um, character Dewitt goes around being like these people are crazy, some races here some militants here I don't know I need to get out of here versus like you know Lincoln Clay who's has an, a vested interest in you know the deaths of these people who are you know oppressing him and his community and like you feel that as the player like you know you know uh, participating in that like it's just so much more like unique and honest than like a take on like violence in games because it's it's violence that that it's like being that is like reacting and commenting on the violence of that time period. That's yeah. So there's one of the ones I was going to mention yeah, too. Get around to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I think Mafia Three also is a good example of like when we were saying stuff about it's refreshing for a game to say, look at these things in history. Like we're not we're not. Uh, gonna retreat into kind of fantasy and stuff we're going to say you know look at this is this is louisiana i guess the city's fake but you know which is kind of a shame but but just saying here's the specific cultural references and we're not shying away from what this means you know is i think the promise of something like a bioshock kind of like made good and the same thing with like also the yeah different things about that game the the violence in it is another one that manages to kind of Last of Us style actually have an impact that's uh, key to the story, I think. Um, and then, yeah, I would echo. I think Assassin's Creed is the better of the two 2013 games, you know, about America. <laughs> and Assassin's Creed was 2012. Reed. Oh my! Come, okay. Come on. That's embarrassing. I'm gonna quit the show come after this. On. Don't worry. But I, I think it does a really good job also in expanding the scope um, to include uh, Britain in, in the story and to include North America as a whole and to tell the story from the perspective of someone who is oppressed rather than someone who... Uh, well, it's like what Yusuf was saying, someone who can just disinterestedly walk around and, you know, like Booker. It's uh, There's more of a stake in it when you, you have this context as part of your, your protagonist. And also, Connor is maybe the best Assassin's Creed protagonist because he actually has like feelings about more than just being like he's not just like cracking jokes and stuff. And he's he's a guy who cares deeply about what's happening uh, in his mission. So I think those are both good games. 
the maybe the last good America game that deals with the the legacy of, of aspects of you know American identity and, and manifest destiny and um, the American dream and everything is Red Dead Redemption I think does does a much better job of it than something like a Bioshock but I think all three of those games uh, Assassin's Creed 3 and Mafia 3 and Red Dead are all games that do a good job of it too and then Yusuf was talking... sorry I was about to say if we're talking about games that did uh, dissection of the American dream very well I'd also add L.A. Noir to the list there oh yeah and then also Yusuf mentioning a book made me think as well of uh, this book by James McBride that if you want to talk about you know the idea of an oppressed people uh, violently overthrowing their oppressors this book it's called The Good Lord Bird and it's about the actual you know, it's historical fiction about John Brown who tried to uh, he was an abolitionist who took up arms freed slaves and, and tried to fight uh, around the Civil War the American Civil War and it's a book that will give you a much more I think nuanced and intelligent discussion of of what that looks like I mean there are a lot of books that we could talk about in terms of that dynamic that I think would maybe steer you toward a better I don't know this, maybe this is condescending or something to talk about in a video game podcast but to fucking give you a better perspective than Bioshock Infinite on to put the lie so to much, what yeah. that Ken Levine really, thing about so much of it comes down to the protagonist like who is in that position if you're like yeah because when the person is involved you can bring up some of the issues I was reading a book about the Boxer Rebellion ironically enough or a comic book um, it's called Boxers and Saints um, and it, I mean it, it does go into some of the issues where you know when you take up arms in a violent revolution you're going to do some pretty terrible things um, but of course the, the main character is like a guy from China <laughs> Like he's participating yeah. and leading it, and you're like, "Yep, that makes a lot of difference." Then if just like a random white guy strolls through and you know looks at it happening and makes a commentary and then keeps going. Yeah, I, I mean, you find a, like a million stories about this, right? That are going to, and I really do, I don't know, not to, I don't know. We talked about Bioshock for this reason, but if. If you want more, I think it's important to read more. I think it's important to read now with read about these things and and encourage a more nuanced understanding of of this, you know, dynamics of of revolution and sometimes violent revolution and protest and I think beyond what's represented in BioShock, which is I think awful and we're seeing lots of awful results of it right now and I'd encourage people to seek that stuff out. So, people's homework before the next episode, <laughs> bullet points. It's four, four sandbox games, two novels, and a, a graphic novel. Yep. And, of course, the entire bullet points back catalogue as well. Uh, Alright, well that's this episode. Um, you can follow bullet points on Twitter at bulletpointsvg. You can read our written work, my article, read your article, Yusuf, your article about Bioshock Infinite at bulletpointsomething.com, as well as lots of other articles about games by a lot of very talented writers. And you can, if you enjoyed this show and enjoy the website, you can 
donate to us at patreon.com forward slash bullet points we appreciate any donations at all it helps us keep this thing going uh Yousef, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it a lot. Where could we find you if we were, for example, on <laughs> Twitter.com? Oh, uh, if you happen to be on Twitter, uh, I'm Yumi Yu. It's uh, Y-O-U-M-E-Y-O-U. And, yeah, I have, I, that's pretty much it. You can find everything about me there. Relevant. Reed, you, you're at ReedMacArthur.com. Dot com, I was going to say. Yeah. But no, you're you're just at Reed McCarter. So I've heard anyway on the on the Twitter sphere, I've heard that if you want to find that Reed McCarter, you need to go to at Reed McCarter. Yeah, that's that's what you do. And then, as with everyone, it's just I'll I'll self promote <laughs> on there. Totally. Oh, <laughs> defo. That's what I do. Ed. Well, I'm at most sincerely Ed, but I've I've recently locked my account. So I don't know if I can get new followers. I don't know how that works, but basically, um, at the moment, I work in a school, and some of my students found me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to I had to lock my account and change my display name to prevent that happening again. Oh! But you can find me at most sincerely Ed, should you desire. In, uh, or, in theory, or if you're in my class, then that's where you can find me. And we'll be back with a whole month of articles and podcasts and things about scary games because we're going to be heading into October now is that right that's, that's the one that comes up <laughs> in September as I recall yeah. that's how, until that's then how it works. thank you that's how it works isn't it we've not changed that that's, that's, how we're, that's how we're carrying on this year until that time thank you again for listening and thank you for enjoying bullet points in general don't you think Reed? <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Yusuf. Sorry for this outro. <laughs> it's no. I, everyone should read it and listen. It's great, good stuff. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I wish every guest said that at the end. Yeah. Usually, usually they just go. This, this was a fucking disaster. <laughs> I'm never doing this again. This is the hang up, the hang up tone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>